The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, stop straightening out your regex and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 567 with guest John Von Gillern, recorded live Tuesday, June 1st, 2010. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms, WPF, Silverlight, and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And now... The man who's taking Representative Bob Etheridge off his Christmas card list, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much. Welcome to .NET Rocks. Carl's here. Richard's here. And John Von Gillern's here. John? Hey, how's it going, guys? We don't usually introduce the guest this early in the show. And uh, I'll wait, but you had a special request, didn't you? I did. Well, I'm, I'm a gigantic fan of Better Know a Framework. And ever since you introduced it, I've been thinking how awesome it would be if you guys featured this certain uh, certain part of the .NET framework. So we just decided to let you do it. Let's roll the music. All right, John, let it rip. Cool. So uh, I'm sure that a lot of uh, developers have probably uh, dabbled with uh, regex, uh, regular expressions before. It lets you find uh, certain chunks of text within a larger body of text. Mm-hmm. So uh, with regex uh, replace, like let's say you're trying to find a date and you're trying to reformat a big, say a news story uh, to use a European style date instead of a US style date, which is uh, embedded in the document. So typically you'd use regex.replace and what you do is you would swap uh, the first and second numbers to make it the European style date. Right. But let's say that uh, you are working for the, the evil god, God King Xerxes, uh, from the movie 300. For example. For example, just a stray example off the top of my head. And you can't convert a U.S. date to a Persian date with a regular expression. It's not possible. You know, regular expression is a declarative language. It's really not meant to do any kinds of calculations. I hate that. I hate that, too. I hate that too. <laughs> what on earth are we going to do? What will we well, do? What we are going to do, I will tell you, I have an answer. It's called a match evaluator. Uh, oh. It is a delegate within uh, system.txt, uh, which is where regular expressions are. And what you can do is it's a delegate that accepts a 
uh, a match, a regex match, mm-hmm. and returns a string. And so as it's doing a replace in your body of text, every time it finds a match, it will pass it to that delegate, and that code will run, and then it will insert whatever text the match evaluator returns. Nice. Wow. So what you can do is you can take uh, your your US-style date, you can call a web service, you could look it up in a database, you could look it up in some other stateful part of memory in a dictionary or, or kind of whatever you wanted to do. So it's uh, it's kind of niche, uh, but it's uh, it comes in very handy when you need something like that. And what's the class? Well, the class is, uh, the delegate uh, is called Match Evaluator. Okay. Yep. Very good. Yeah. And that's Better Know Framework. Hey, uh, thank you, John. And Richard, is somebody talking to us? Oh, indeed they are. What are this, they saying? This is a very profound email, actually. The subject line is ripples on the water. You can think about that for a little bit. Uh-huh. The email reads, Hi, Carl and Richard. First of all, I just want to congratulate you on your road trip. For me, it was the reignition of .NET Rocks. Wow. Don't get me wrong, I still thought you were the best .NET podcast around even before, but those 15 shows reminded me of how I felt when I first started to listen somewhere around show 200. Awesome. Back then, I'd already been working professionally as a developer for about six years, but I wasn't really passionate about my occupation. It was more or less just food on the table. However, that all changed thanks to you guys. You not only inspired me to become a better developer, but also to see my profession as craftsmanship that I should be proud of. Eventually, I started coaching other developers and challenging them to become even better. I founded what we call a skills group aimed at spreading the love that is developing with .NET and eventually inspired others to do the same in other areas. I just wanted to say thank you so much for setting things in motion and being a source of inspiration. Best regards from Jimmy Svensson from Alingsas, Sweden. Very nice. Hey, Jimmy. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thank you. I feel kind of small sending you a mug for such a great email, but I will send you a mug. And if you've got any questions, concerns, compliments, or ideas for show, send us an email. .net rocks at franklins.net. Or heck, flames. Flames. Hey, flame us. We deserve to be flamed. Every once in a while, we like a good flame, especially if it's well written. Well, uh, with that, Richard, let's introduce, formally introduce John. John von Gillern became interested in code in his junior high programming class when, in a delusion of grandeur, he convinced himself he found a pattern to prime numbers using basic A. Although deflated after realizing his theory was quite silly, his passion for writing software flourished, and John continued on to get a degree in computer engineering from Iowa State University. He's been paid to develop everything from Excel macros to large-scale genetic visualizations using WPF. John is the tech lead for two new developer tools, Nitric Code Analysis, that's N-I-T-R-I-Q, and Atomic Duplicate Code Finder, that's A-T-O-M-I-Q. You can find John around the Des Moines area helping to organize the local user group and the Iowa Code Camp. He's scheduled to speak about regular expressions at KCDC in Kansas City on June 19th, as well as Expression Blend at the Heartland Developers Conference in Omaha on September 9th. John's very excited about the new big integer class in .NET 4.0, where he plans to do further testing on his crackpot ideas about prime numbers. Welcome to the show, John. Hey, thanks, guys, for having me. And thanks for that Better Know a Framework. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's it's my pleasure. I feel uh, I feel very special. You're a regex guru, you say? 
I, I dabble in the regex. I like to think that I've got a, a pretty firm grasp on WPF, uh, but sometimes you listen to, you read the, the WPF insiders and things just start going over my head, but regular expressions, I feel like uh, I own. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, I got to think if you're doing, if you're in the business of doing code analysis, regex is your friend. They are your friend, and I, I can't even imagine trying to do some of the stuff that I've done without them. Yeah. They come in very handy. When they're, when they're a fit, they're a real fit. And uh, the whole prime number thing, this is just an obsession of yours? Oh, I don't know. It's just me being silly and, you know, banging on some code, having, having spare projects. I, I got to know what your prime number theory was. Oh, I don't remember. I was like 14. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I forgot it. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's forgetting with intent. That's what that is. Yeah, exactly. So should we talk a little code analysis here? What's this all about? So there's a, there's a couple different kinds of uh, code analysis. Um, there's static code analysis and there's dynamic code analysis. Okay. Uh, so a lot of uh, .NET Rocks listeners are probably already familiar or have used a, uh, a dynamic code analysis tool before. Uh, the difference between static and dynamic is that dynamic needs to run. Uh, in order to analyze your code, uh, so like a memory pro- memory profiler, a performance profiler, uh, those are dynamic. Static code analysis tools uh, do not run your application. In fact, they only look at uh, either your source code or they look at your executable, your, your the IL within your DLL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, those are the two differences um, between static and dynamic. And uh, I've recently created uh, two tools that are code analysis tools. Okay. The first one uh, is called Atomic. And so what Atomic does is it goes out and finds all the places where someone has used uh, copy and paste inheritance. You know, they're, oh, I need a method that adds 47 numbers. I'm going to copy it and paste it somewhere else where I need it. Right. Uh, and so most uh, most developers are probably familiar with the, the dry principle, don't repeat yourself. Right. Because every time that you copy a chunk of code, uh, all of a sudden that functionality is in two places. And if that code needs to change, now you've got to change it in two places or three places. Or Now, are you actually analyzing functionality here or are you analyzing the, the text itself? So Atomic uh, just looks at source code. Okay. Um, right now it only supports uh, C-sharp, VB, XAML, and uh, ASPX extensions. Only. Uh the reason for that is because we try and do some smart things in terms of ignoring fluff. Uh, so if you've got a bunch of brackets that are uh, all in a row uh, in C-sharp, you know, those get ignored, white space gets ignored. That way someone can still, you know, add comments, but if they've copied it and pasted it somewhere else, if it's if the core code is, is essentially the same, uh, then Atomic will say, hey, you need to... You need to take a look at this because someone copied this code. Right. And and the basic activity now is do I wrap this up in a method somehow so that I don't duplicate it? Exactly. Exactly. Well, and so we leave it, uh, we kind of leave it up to you. There's a lot of different ways that uh, that these kind of problems can can uh, manifest themselves. And uh, there are solutions. You can end up taking uh, a lot of different routes. You can extract a method uh, if the similar code is within method within, you know, several methods, or sometimes you'll see a chunk of code and they've straight up copied 18 methods, you know, from one class to another. Right. Mm. Uh, and so we don't make any opinion on what's the best way of doing it. We're not really aware what is 
Atomic is not aware what is a method and what isn't a method. Uh, it's just saying, hey, here's the code. Uh, there's a button to open uh, the code within Visual Studio uh, so that you can go in and you can use your your code rush or whatever other refactoring tool. Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to ask if it went so far as to do the refactoring for you, but I guess it doesn't. Nope. Nope. That'd be, that'd be getting a lot more complicated. Yeah. I'm going to try and, uh, eventually, uh, you know, in the next month or two, we'll be releasing, uh, further updates so that you can do this for your Ruby code or your Python code or, uh, C++, whatever there is. Well, I kind of like the fact that you don't go all the way towards refactoring, too, because, you know, that's a hell of a big wizard that changes a lot of stuff that you might then look at your code and go, what? Yeah. You know, if you don't do the refactoring yourself, you might indeed end up with some serious problems. So what's the threshold for duplication? Because I can think there's lots of 4x equals 1 to 10 lines out there. Sure. Uh, so I think the default uh, is six lines of duplication, um, but it's totally configurable. Um, we've stress tested it, stress tested it on some really big uh, solutions from CodePlex, um, ones that have a lot of copy and pasted code. I mean, it's when you've copy and pasted 500 lines of code like that are exactly the same. That's a problem. Yeah. Uh, so it's configurable. Uh, I think the the slider on our options screen right now goes from like two to fifty. But I, you know, I'm I'm not automatically going to declare. You know, people are making mistakes here when they duplicate lines of code. I've worked in enough teams where there were, especially something like Coplex Project, half a dozen different guys in different locations, each building different parts of an app. They yep. might all include the chunks of somebody else's library in each of their modules, not even know the others have done it. At least exactly. this tool would detect that. Yes, that tool, the, the, the tool that detects that. And then we've also got this, uh, I think this is a really neat feature. Uh, people can obviously go to the website and, uh, and check it out. But we call it the wheel. And so what the wheel does is it takes, uh, it takes all of the files that we find uh, a chunk of similar code in, and it makes a big circle. So each arc segment on this circle is a file, okay? And uh, the size of the arc or the the uh, arc, the arc degrees, or the, the number of degrees in the arc, is proportional to how many lines of code that it found that were duplicate. Okay, and so then in the center of this circle, there is a connector that connects, uh, you know, your uh, login code to uh, to the login code in that other module that got copy and pasted. Right. And so. Uh, but then beyond that, it also has arcs for the, the directory structure. And so you can very easily see if there were six people in six different modules that copied that code, you're going to see six lines sprouting out of that login, you know, .cs code. Nice. Connected to the six other login.cs codes in the different directories. That's a nice yeah. way to visualize things. Yeah. And it, uh, it looks pretty slick. I, uh, I put on my, my designer hat and, uh, it made it look. I don't know. Everyone should check it out. It's if you're not impressed by that, <laughs> then then you should stop listening. So is this a free tool? Uh, so Nitric or no, I, I apologize. Atomic is not free right now. It's very reasonable though. Atomic is uh, forty dollars for a single seat and then thirty dollars for multiple seats. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, there's a there's a seven day trial, uh, but we have we do have a free version of Nitric. Awesome. So. Um, what is nitric? So 
So nitric is uh, is a more uh, complicated or in-depth static code analysis tool, and what it does is it helps you find problem areas in your code. Um, not just duplicates. Not duplicates. Not duplicates. This is a if it's an excellent code review tool. Like so, if you've got a new developer and they've been banging on some code for three months, and you want to say, okay, well, how is this guy doing? You know, uh, is his code up to snuff? Uh, then you, what you do is you will go into Nitric and you'll create a new project and it'll ask you for a bunch of assemblies and it will go in and it actually uses uh, the mono.cecil project to inspect all of the IL in your DLLs or executables. Okay. And it pulls all of that information out into a very easy to query uh, I don't want to say API, uh, a very easy to query object model. Okay. So, so first of all, wait, before you go on, what is mono.cecil? Oh, so mono.cecil is part of the, the mono project, uh, the attempt to get uh, cross-platform uh, .NET code running. And so what it lets you do is it lets you inspect uh, the individual IL instructions for your for your .NET app. So IL is intermediate language. So is it like ILDASM for mono? But in uh, code form? Kind of, but it's, it's, it's programmatic. Like it's a, it's a DLL and it'll go in and, uh, you know, I reference it to go in and I say, hey, let me iterate through all of the assemblies that, that, are, that have been picked. Now go through all of the types that are in each assembly. Then go through each of the methods. And as I'm going through each of these layers, I'm pulling out various statistics or various metrics on uh, each each object, right? So I've got a a type object, and it's going to have a collection of methods, just like uh, just like you would traditionally think of, uh, you know, types and methods and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. They have various properties. The method has, you know, how many lines of code does it have? Sure, all the stuff uh, about that. Yeah. What what other methods does it call? What methods call it? Are you using reflection to pull any of that data up? So mono.cecil is reflection on crack. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I originally tried going down uh, the reflection route, and it, it'll let you get a, a lot of good information, but uh, in terms of actually finding out, okay, well, what methods does this method call? You can't really do that with, uh, with reflection. Microsoft recently released, uh, I think they call it CCI, that does something similar uh, okay. to mono.cecil, but uh, my, that ship had already sailed for me, and I'd already kind of committed to, to Cecil. Okay, and I'm looking at the, the screen capture here, and I see this rich graphic in the tree map window. Yep. And my brain hurts just trying to think about this as being any kind of informative. What is, what is this? All right, so a tree map... Uh, it was created, I think, in the 90s, and I first ran into it in an app called WinderStat, mm-hmm. uh, which helps you find uh, what files are on your hard drive. So you can easily find that, like, random 1.2 gig cache that some crappy app threw on your, on, your, on your hard drive so you can delete it. And so what a tree map is, is each, each box within the tree map is proportional to... Uh, every other box based on some metric. So the one that you're looking at, every box on that screen represents a method. Okay. And what you're essentially looking at is it looks like a big series of different sized 
squares with smaller squares inside of each of those, and they get progressively smaller and smaller and smaller. Exactly. So it really, and, and they have to be 3D shaded, otherwise it'd be very, it'd be impossible to tell where the yeah. borders were. The shading shows you that, hey, these methods that are close together are all within the same class. And then all of the classes that look like they're kind of shaded so that they're together are within the same namespace. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, and if you want a visual of this, go to shrinkster.com slash 1DZG, 1DavidZebraGregory, and that'll yep. give you the uh, the screenshot that I'm looking at right now. And so all the little boxes that are within the boxes that make this thing sort of look like lizard skin, they're yeah. actually, are they methods? Yes, so each one is a method, and so what it's showing you is that the big ones, the ones that are really easy to see, are methods that have a lot of lines of code. Okay. Mm. Okay, so the largest, so if, if, if you've got, uh, you know, one box that has a area of 100 units, and the box next to it has an area of 200 units, mm. then the one with 200 units is, has twice as many lines of code as the other one. Right. And the shading again? Is representation shading shows relationships between uh, that these methods are grouped together within the same class, and that the classes are grouped together within a namespace. I see. Yeah, and so you can, uh, if you actually have the app running, uh, we make it real easy. You can hover over each each cell, and you can say, "Oh, uh, you know, this method is really big because it was automatically generated by the WinForms designer." Right. The initialized component uh, a method that is always forever long if you're developing in WinForms. Okay. Yeah. And looking at the screenshot, I see, is that link code? That is link. No. So that's, that's the really cool thing about Nitric is that Nitric is, is very similar to FXCOP. I'm sure a lot of people have used FXCOP. Yep. It's, a, it's another static analysis tool. Uh, but one of the reasons why I started Nitric was that uh, I wanted to create my own rule. I wanted to, I don't even remember what it was. It was some naming rule. You know, I wanted every, every class that descended from some master object to be named uh, appropriately. You know, every, every mm. class that descends from, from node should end in the word node. Okay? And I started to go down, okay, well, FXCOP has this API, and I'm going to go and I'm going to download it, and I, I was absolutely horrified by how complicated it was. Uh, now, probably necessarily so, you know, .NET is a very big, uh, big complicated thing, but it was way more complicated than I wanted to deal with for my stupid little rule. Uh, and so, Nitric lets you create your own rules using Link. Um, so, for instance, uh, like there's a static method that instantiate objects, right? So if you're instantiating an object in a static method, you could probably make your code more loosely coupled if you instead passed that uh, that instantiated object in as a parameter instead. Okay. Okay. So it reduces the it reduces the amount of change that you'd have to do after the fact if you needed to refactor something. So. Uh, let, let let me come up with a, a sample query that that's easy to uh, to think about. Uh, if I wanted to find all my methods that have more than 150 lines of code, 
uh, you know, 150 lines of code that's, that's getting kind of big. You, you might be able to break that down into smaller methods. And so, uh, to write that, what you're going to do is you're going to say from M in methods where M dot lines of code greater than 150 select M. And what that's going to do is that's going to show you every single method and that's going to return every single method that has more than 150 lines of code. Cool. Yes. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, whose RAD controls outperform all others. Are you experiencing performance hits when handling millions of records with your Silverlight grid? Have you been frustrated by the amount of XAML code it takes to create a control template? There are so many potential bottlenecks that can drag your app performance. And of course, there's no universal solution for them. The good news is the guys from Telerik understand the complexity of that problem. When building RAD controls for Silverlight, they isolate every probable source of performance loss. Then they apply a respective solution. Through UI and data virtualization, data sampling, and content recycling, RAD controls help you deliver unbeatable performance with your Silverlight apps. You can check out Telerik Silverlight Grid handling 50 million cells as a piece of cake or RAD chart working seamlessly with a million records. Just go to Telerik.com slash Silverlight slash performance for details. And hey, don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. They truly make this show possible. And what other kind of parameters can we use beyond just number of lines? You can use, there are, I, I haven't counted them. I'm sure there's probably over 100 different metrics. There's, wow. You, know, you can say, for instance, maybe for some reason you wanted to only return, or you were really concerned with public methods versus private methods. And so you could say, uh, where lines of code is greater than 150 and m dot is public or is private or is this a constructor? Like if you want to know, if you want to create a rule that says, hey, constructor shouldn't do X, Y, Z. Constructor shouldn't call this method or you call some arbitrary method. Uh, you can do essentially whatever you want. Um, it's In fact, it's all C sharp. You know, you can, if you wanted to create some variables uh, above your link query, uh, you can totally do that. Uh, and then use them within your link query. You know, any C-sharp that can compile against the API uh, will work. And uh, to help you out, there is a a version of IntelliSense. It is, uh, it's a little hacky. Uh, IntelliSense is kind of a really hard problem. And eventually, we'd like to have a full-blown IntelliSense within Nitric. Uh, mm -hmm. But if, you're, if your variables are named correctly or named appropriately according to our guidelines, so... If you've got a a, uh, a chunk of your link query that uh, is method, you got a variable called method, and you hit the period sign, it is going to show you all of the available properties off of the method class. So it'll show you, I'll just list them off here. Uh, you can get a collection of all the methods that call that method. You can get a collection of methods that that method calls, the number of uh, comments, uh, the cyclomatic complexity, uh, what fields that it gets, what fields that it sets, uh, how many IL instructions it has, if it's a generic method, if it's a, if it's a property getter, a property setter, an index getter, if it's internal, if it's an operator, if it's a constructor, how many overloads there are, how many parameters it has, uh, the list goes on and on. Hmm. So Very cool. if any of those things are, are of 
importance to you, then you can uh, then you can use those in your query. So, are there any situations where FX Cop would be a better tool than Nitric? Yeah. So, uh, Nitric is a is a high level tool. Like it 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 does a good job at showing you uh, some dependencies if you wanted to find. Uh, everywhere that a certain method or, or type is called or used. Uh, what it can't do is it can't go down to the, uh, the nitty gritty details that FX Cop can. So like in VB, there is, uh, there's the shortcut, uh, Boolean logic operators like and also and or else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I believe there's an FX Cop rule that, that you can say, hey, if they're using and instead of and also, then yeah. FX Cop can catch that and say, "Hey, you should your your code will perform faster if you use and also instead of just and." Right. Nitro can't do that. Uh, the I'm not saying it could never do that, but hmm. it's uh, that's a pretty fine level of detail that that you're getting into. Wow. But it, I guess what I'm liking about your approach is I end up building up a set of queries specific to this app. Yeah, and I gotta imagine that you know individual users. Queries can be wildly different from each other. Yes, yes, they absolutely can, and that, that's been one of the really neat things. Is that uh, you know, as we were in our beta test, and uh, you know, I'm showing it to to everyone at uh, Nimble Pros, wh- who is you know releasing Nitric and Atomic. Uh, it's a consultancy. The uh, it was really neat to have someone send me a query that they wrote, and. They were doing all these things that, you know, I just honestly, I had, I had no idea that uh, that someone would use it for that, but it was really useful. Like, the best example I have is one of the guys wanted to know every place that there was a uh, a recursive method. He wanted to know all methods that call themselves. Hmm. You know, it's a three-line link statement. You know, is it a bad thing necessarily to have a recursive method? No, but it's nice to know that, that where they're at. Yeah. Uh, and... So that also plays into the fact that so Nitric can warn you if uh, certain conditions occur. So you assign the the results of your link statement to a variable called results. Okay, and what you can do is you can call a warn method or an error method if the number of results is greater than a certain number. Right. So let's say you've got uh, whatever the rule is. Uh, Find me all uh, all large method all methods larger than than 150 lines. Mm. You know that there's you know in your own code base that there are uh, five methods that it's okay that they're longer than 150 lines for whatever reason it is. Uh, you can say okay, well that's fine. Now warn me if there is any method that is if there are six methods that are longer than 150 lines. I want to be made aware of it. And if there's ten. Uh, then I want to view that as an error, and so you can use that that uh, that functionality in a in our console edition that you can throw on a build server. And so every time someone does a check-in, you know the architect can create these rules that they deem to be important, and if a uh, they can get a report afterwards. And if it's just a bunch of warnings, then it'll get a report, and there'll be a bunch of warnings. But if an error gets thrown, uh, then you can go in and Fail the build and say, "All right, no, we're not gonna, we're not going to, you know, push that this out to QA or, or whatever it is." And this is a this is a free product, also. So the console edition is not free. Uh, the console edition costs money, and 
beer is a community version of nitric uh that is free there's just a couple limitations on it uh you can only analyze one assembly at a time and you can only you you can't save your queries like if you want to keep them in notepad or keep them somewhere else and then paste them back in uh so it really truly is an evaluation well yeah it doesn't it, it never expires um and uh the the full blown version is forty bucks oh, okay. uh, so so the r o i or the sorry i'm sounding like a business person no but it's the, true though know, the, i mean i mean it's not going to break the bank and it's uh, not going to break the bank it's something that you know you can throw on your expense card and you know your manager's not even going to think twice about spending right. forty bucks on something yeah but this does look like something i'd put into my uh my continuous build operation that because you, you're spitting out warnings just to give me a heads up of, of interesting bits of code that I should go take a look at. Absolutely. exactly. And I love this idea of go hunt down all the recursive functions, same sort of thing. I, it's not that I don't want you to make recursive functions, it's that I want to know when you did. Exactly. So that we can go and get a good long look at that and make sure it's not going to do anything hairy. Does it do any profiling too in terms of time in particular uh, methods? Nope. Okay. Nope. That's not the point. The point is... Give me a snapshot of what my code looks like. Exactly. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, it's just a, it's a logical extension. This is yet another set of things to do as part of the build process. Right. Over time. I mean, you, there's obviously stuff that could slip through if you haven't thought of it. Um, how? I mean, if you're not putting it in the console version in your continuous integration process, how often should you be running it? I mean... Is this something that are there any guidelines around that? Uh, you know, nothing like definite, nothing that's that I've, you know, really, really thought about. Um but I certainly I I probably run Nitric on my own code uh I don't know, once a week, once every other week. Uh you're gonna get the most use out of it, I think, when the first time you you know, you you use it on your big project with lots of assemblies. Uh because then you're gonna get a real quick holy crap the new guy just created a 4,000-line method. Not right. that I've ever seen that happen. <laughs> right. You know, a little heads up. Yeah. Yeah. And so you can go in and you can put the kibosh on that. And then, the uh, you know, if guy. you don't want to buy the console edition and or whatnot, then uh, then you just, you know, you run it whenever you need to. But it, it makes a really good uh, code review tool. Yeah. Uh, so I was going to say. If the... your organization does code reviews, you know, you just take a take your laptop and a projector into into a room and run it on your code and and you know oh well these per these people were responsible for this assembly so let's load this assembly or mm. they were they're responsible for this namespace and so you know because you've got link you can really filter on whatever you need to if you right. need to filter on uh on assemblies or namespaces you know that's that's totally doable you got a bunch of autobox queries should we talk through a few of these sure um so most of them are pretty simple there's uh, I think there's about 40 uh, queries that it comes with. Uh, a big chunk of those are actually FX, FX cop rules. Um, but FX cop, I don't think originally came up with them. They were part of the uh, .NET framework guidelines. Uh, I think Brad Abrams wrote that with someone else. I'm then they must right be now. good. Yes, they're definitely good. They're definitely good. And so uh, the thing that I like about it, though, is that, you know, I'm not a very dogmatic person, you know. I, I'm all about wanting to know the reason why they have a rule, and you know, applying that to my situation. Is is this 
is is what they're saying should be a concern? Is this really a concern for me? Uh, and maybe it is, maybe it isn't, or maybe it's kind of. Maybe maybe part of it is, and I only want to apply it to to certain namespaces or assemblies. Uh, by having those framework guideline rules within Nitric, you can very go in, or you can easily go in, and you can tweak them however you want. If you wanted to do that with FXCOP, you're going to be spending forever learning their gigantic API. Um, so the the very first uh, one we can look at is uh, methods to refactor. Um, and so all this is doing is it's finding every method where the cyclomatic complexity is greater than 25 or the physical line count is greater than 200 or if it uses more than 30 types. So if it has a dependency on more than 30 types and or if it has a parameter count of uh, more than 7. If it's doing any of those things, uh, if it has, if any of those conditions are met, that code's probably doing too much. Um, and uh, a lot of people would say that uh, that those guidelines are very liberal, and that you, a lot of, I'm, I'm assuming that a lot of people out there would probably even cut that cut cyclomatic complexity down to 15. Uh, hmm. And so, for those who are not aware of cyclomatic complexity, um, it's actually a really neat metric. Um, what it's doing is it's uh, it's going through and it's finding how many branches there are throughout that code. So depending on all the different states available uh, in your if statements, in your uh, in your for each, in your for loop, and how many different paths can can the code execute through? Uh, and so if you get to twenty five different paths through your code, your code's probably doing too much. Uh, and that's one place where cyclomatic, or that's one place where regular expressions came in really handy, was that I actually needed to parse the C sharp uh, because the IL doesn't really have, uh, it's not aware, it's not cognizant of a, a of a lot of those concepts. So really, it's counting the number of ifs, uh, for loops, case statements, uh, so on and so forth. Right. Yeah, and it's be interesting to see what those distill down to in IL. That it would be fairly challenging to get that count successfully when you look at it that way. Yes, yes, it's very, very challenging. Uh, and I've got like a million and ten unit tests around my C sharp parser because it is there's you know you can do some pretty crazy stuff with it. So with C sharp in general, and so I'd have to handle everything. Uh, so uh we've got that uh we've got that rule. We've got another rule that's this one's pretty simple. Um it uh methods that may violate the single responsibility principle. Oh. And and so it's really simple. It, it all it's doing is it's looking at every method name and if that method name contains the string and or the string. <laughs> that's brilliant. Yeah, exactly. Or the or the string or or the string then, you know, like calculate calculate average and mean, you know, right. uh, it, it will return that and say, hey, you should you should probably make these two different methods. Uh, right. Just by so, looking at the method names. Yep. <laughs> so yep. much and for so, code analysis. <laughs> low tech. That's the low it tech. It is low approach. tech. But uh, so we've added a couple uh, nice extension methods for doing things like this. Uh, so off of any string property, there is a like extension method that will use a regular expression. Um, so, you know, 
there are plenty of words that contain the string A-N-D, right? right? You don't want to return those because that's not the word and. And so what it's looking for is capital A, lowercase n, lowercase d, and then a capital letter. Right. So that you know that, hey, this is, this is most likely the, the word and and not, uh, you know, those letters shoved in a different, larger word. Send Andrew email. Ah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Which is a really bad method. So a uh, this is a big one, and I'm not going to go into what it actually says, but there's a there's a metric called lack of cohesion in methods, um, and there's a bunch of variations on it. Uh, and within the rule, when you when you open it up, you can actually you know go out and it has a link for finding more information about it. Uh, but what lack of cohesions and methods does is it tries to quantify classes that are not highly cohesive. And it does that by measuring, uh, it looks at how many of your methods access how many of the fields of the private member variables in your class. Hmm. And hmm. Uh, if you look at it, it, it is a gigantic link query where you're doing subqueries and you're doing counts and you're doing averages and you're doing uh, uh, sums and unions and distincts, uh, and essentially it boils down to if if your lack of cohesion in methods is greater than, uh, say, 0.9 is a, a number that I think I saw somewhere, that the range goes from 0 to 2. If it's above 0.9, your, your type or your class is probably doing too much, and you can break it down further. Interesting. I mean, this is an yeah. interesting idea. Yes, it's very interesting. And you know what? There's, uh, I think there's on the, on the link within the query, there are probably four or five different, uh, variations of it. Um, and you're more than welcome to go out and you can, uh, with a little work, <laughs> with a little work, you can go out and you can create your own. Uh, there are some other static analysis tools that will return things like lack of cohesion to methods, but they use a proprietary, uh, query language. And so they're calculating it for you behind the scenes, and then they, then they'll let you query against it, but you wouldn't be able to create your own. If that makes sense. Yeah. Right. Well, in de- how long did this? Uh, how long did Nitric take you to develop? Did you do it yourself? Yeah, uh, the vast majority uh, of it I've done myself. Um, we started, or I started in October, two Octobers ago. So, what, fifteen, sixteen months. Yep. Um, we I released it uh, this last October, and I've been getting uh, you know a lot of uh, beta testers and, and so on and so forth. And uh, I've been pretty happy with the feedback. Uh, it's been pretty good. It's uh, I've added a lot of polish since then. And uh, now that the the real hard part was essentially Nitric is a, is essentially a gigantic abstraction on top of Mono.Csol because there's a lot mm-hmm. of things that uh, you can't easily access with Cecil that I make available for you. And so uh, there's a lot of things that we can add now, now that we're, that we've got the core stuff done. Had you, before you attempted this, had you ever dug that deep into IL before? Uh, the closest thing that I would have gotten to IL was probably a, an assembly language class in, uh, in college. I know IL is not assembly language, mm. Uh, but you know, you got your no ops and your jumps and your so on and so forth. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I got very, uh, very familiar with its quirks. Like one thing that, so there's, a, there's a lot of, uh, 
there's a lot of abstractions that the C# Sharp compiler uh, adds on top of IL. And you know, when you think about it, it makes sense. But uh, you know, you think, well, VB and C# Sharp are similar enough, and they both use the .NET framework. That they probably, you know, I had no idea that uh, that IL has no concept of a static class. Mm. Um, they have, and so you know, I'm looking through the Cecil uh, their API, and I'm like. Why the hell is there not a a is static method off of a type? And well, I found the answer is that they don't have static. What they ha- what when you create a static class in VB or C sharp, what it's doing is it's creating a sealed abstract class. Hmm. Sealed abstract. Yeah. So sealed meaning uh, you know you can't uh, you yeah. can't inherit from it, and mm-hmm. abstract meaning you can't derive from it. Right. Which is, when you think about it, that's a static class, but they don't call it that. And, you know, it's, it's a combination of the two. Now they have static methods, uh, but it's, uh, well, I can't, I, I probably spent a week trying to figure out how, wh- where the heck I was going to get is static for my type. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's an interesting problem. So, so you must have learned a lot about IL in the process. I certainly did. Yes. I yeah. certainly did. Well, that's awesome. Um, what are your plans for improving or ne- the next big thing on your – you obviously are a guy who likes a big challenge. I mean, starting off trying to find the – crack the code to prime numbers is – means, you know, you, you like to challenge yourself. What, uh, what, do you, what do you see next? What's the next big thing that you want to conquer? Um, I think uh, I've got a lot, of, a lot of things on the backlog for Nitric and Atomic. Um, I think we can do a lot of neat things with uh, graphs. Um, like a dependency graph in Nitric mm. uh, now that the rest of this is done. And uh, I think we can do some really neat things with Atomic um, in terms of uh, just improving the user experience that, you know, to have a uh, a file system watcher so that when you actually save, uh, you know, your refactorings, that it'll reanalyze just the, the things that you changed mm. so that you don't see them anymore. That's neat. Uh, there's a lot of things like that that, uh, I think I'll probably be working on uh, on nitric and atomic for a while. So, oh, cool! Uh, and then, of course, my big integer prime crackpot stuff. <laughs> but I mean, this is a crowded market. There are a lot of other products in this space, so it's it's interesting you're trying to carve a little niche out. Well, here. yeah, and it, and it does seem to be a niche. Yes, it is a niche. Um, it's uh especially nitric is is proved a little hard uh, to market in that it's it's not something that you can just say in one sentence, this is what right. it does. You know, it's, uh, someone needs to be interested in the topic already and... Uh, and Code analysis out. with Link. That's cool. That's yeah, really cool. It does it with Link, yes. Yep. Mm. I originally started down the path where I was going to try and use uh, like a, you know, compact SQL or embedded SQL uh, to pull everything out into a into a embedded database, and you'd write a SQL query against it. Uh, but Link is just way cooler. <laughs> you can do a lot more stuff with Link. So, yeah. Well, uh, is there anything else that you want to cover before we say goodbye? Um, you want to come back for another BKAF sometime? Yeah, dude, that'd be great. <laughs> that'd right. be great. Um, if uh, so, I'm a big CoCamp guy. Like, I love doing that stuff. Uh, if uh, 
if any of your listeners organize co-camps and they want some free licenses, you know, they're, uh, just shoot an email to von, V-O-N, at nitric.com, and I'd be more than happy to give you one. Or uh, if you work on an open source project or if you're an MVP, uh, just shoot me, uh, shoot me an email and I'd be uh, more than happy to hook you up. Awesome. Well, it sounds like a great product, and good luck. Thank you very much. Thanks, John, and thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.